Well, good morning. I just dropped the egg. <laughs> Dude, you should have got me up out because it's been in your band this morning. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad to see all you guys. It is great for uh, the friends that have been gone for the summer. Uh, it's great to see you again and get, get to reconnect with you this morning. So welcome back. If this is your first time with us, uh, we welcome you. Welcome to Chapel Hill. This is a great place. Uh, if you are a new student, then we just want to embrace you this morning and just say that you have made a very wise decision in uh, <laughs> choosing this university and deciding to be a part of the community of Chapel Hill. This is an incredible place, and it is going to shape your life, and it is going to change your life. And uh, we celebrate that with you, and we commit to you to be a part of that journey with you, uh, that discipleship journey as God draws you into his heart and then ultimately sends you out into the world as an extension of his mission in this world. So as this church loves Chapel Hill, we just want to say we invite you to be a part of that journey with us. We would love to play a part in your story. So Love Chapel Hill um, is kind of a weird name for a church, all right? I, I admit that, all right? And it kind of backed us into a corner here by taking on that name, that means we probably better live up to that, right? Um, but here's the thing. The, the reason for that name is that Love Chapel Hill is not just the name of this church, okay? Before we knew what the name of this church was going to be, God was pressing it on our hearts that this was supposed to be our mission as a church, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. That's what we felt like we were being called to do and drawn here to do. And so over time, that, as, as that was our mission, that actually evolved into the identity of, of who we were as well. We embraced that. We want our mission and our identity to always be linked together. Every time we say the name, it's not just a community that we are part of. It's not just a place that we go to, but it is, a, it is something that we do. It is an action. It is our mission. It's a reminder of our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. And we're glad that you're here today um, to be a part of that. Over the summer, we have been walking through the book of Proverbs. All right, we've been doing this, this summer series on seeking wisdom. Seeking wisdom through the book of Proverbs. And it has been a really cool experience for us. Uh, the book of Proverbs, basically the purpose of the book is to lay out for us the pathway to wisdom. And, and to lay out for us what it means to grasp and grab a hold of godly wisdom. And for those whose hearts are humble enough to grasp it, God wants to plant his wisdom in us, to invite us into his wisdom, to live these dynamic lives that his hands are all over. Okay, And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. It's this invitation into walking these pathways of wisdom. And when we talk about that, um, what we mean is this, okay? It's, it's, it's knowledge and it's understanding, but it's also more than that, okay? This is knowledge plus, okay? Wisdom is grasping the information, having a command of the information, but also putting it into practice, okay? It, it's knowing, but it's also doing, and in the process, wisdom converges the two of knowing 
and doing, and the end result is being. Okay? We know, and we do, and then the result is that we are. Okay? Knowing, doing, leads to being. And this is what Proverbs invites us into, into this wise life, into this dynamic life that God wants us to be a part of and that he wants to shape in us. So that's what we've been uh, looking at all summer long, is this, this idea of God's wisdom and the way that the book of Proverbs is just full of his wisdom, touching every part of our lives, touching every single part of our lives. It's the way we think. It's the way we act. It's the way we speak. It's the way we feel. It touches into everything, the way we work and, and, and our relationships. It puts its hands on everything and works its way into every single corner of our lives. Godly wisdom shaping us holistically and forming us even more and more into the likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ, by the work of His Holy Spirit. So the book here, this has been just a, an amazing experience walking through this. It's, it's from the genre of wisdom literature, but its form is poetry, okay? So it often uses uh, very creative kind, uh, kinds of images to get its point across. And, and for the most part, it's these little statements that can be taken just by themselves. And as we immerse ourselves in this, in different situations, these images and these phrases will pop into our minds to kind of give us guidance and give us direction as the Holy Spirit draws this back to our memory and says, remember what this proverb said. Remember what you should do in this situation. And so it uses really creative imagery to do that. One of them that's just kind of weird, but it's, it's, a, it's a famous one to show you like how powerful the imagery is here. It says this. It says, as a dog, some of you know this one, okay? <laughs> as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly, okay? And that is a gross image. No one wants to think about that. I'm sorry for putting that in your mind this morning, all right? <laughs> but it's, it's meant to be this shock, to be like, whoa, whoa. But it's the same kind of thing. When we return to our foolish behavior, when you see a dog do that, you're like, whoa, let me reason with you for a second. (laughs) You don't want to do this, okay? And and, and that's the way it is when we keep going back to our foolish ways, okay? It's the way it is when we keep going back to our foolish ways. Everyone around us is saying, do not do that, please. I can't even watch. Don't do that, all right? But it's this pattern. And so... Proverbs encourages us to develop patterns in the opposite direction of that. And it reminds us, when we started to go back to those things that we know are foolish, pops this image in our mind and we're like, whoa, I don't want to do that. Right? Another way that it does it is, is occasionally it uses lists, okay? Now the imagery and the poetry of this, most of it really translates really well into our culture today. Some of the things don't translate so well, okay? There's one list um, that it lays out, and it says this. It's in Proverbs uh, 30, and it's in uh, starting in, in verse 29. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts, uh, a strutting rooster, 
a he-goat and a king with his army around him. Okay? That's strange. Right? <laughs> this is kind of strange imagery. And, and to lay it out like that in that list, there are three things. No, wait, four. Okay? I, I'm contemplating starting to try to use that in, like, everyday conversation. Right? <laughs> there are three things I would like with my cookout tray. All right? <laughs> Nay, four things. <laughs> That I would love. <laughs> a burger with cheese. A cheerwine, that sweet nectar of the South. <laughs> Chicken nuggets and a corn dog. Because at cookout, you're allowed to do that. It's like, what kind of restaurant has chicken nuggets and a corn dog as a side option? Right? The most amazing restaurant ever. <laughs> I would like a grown adult meal, but then I would also like to indulge the nine-year-old in me. <laughs> so, so some of this translates really well. Some of it, maybe not so much. But the truth that is in this completely, completely works its way into every corner and can touch every corner of our lives and shape our direction and who we are becoming. All right, this is the power of the Holy Spirit alive in these words, inspired by God Himself to shape us, to form us, to draw us into a wise life, a life that chooses to follow God and to walk in His ways. Okay, so throughout the summer, we've talked about different ways that that's happened wise speech, wise thought, wise heart, all these different things. This morning, we're going to talk about the wise mind. All right, and the way Proverbs is shaping. The wise mind. Chapter 2 says this, verses 1 through 5. These are the verses we're going to be looking at this morning. My son, it starts out, okay? Here's the deal. Most of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon, the wisest person to ever live. And And much of it is laid out as if a father giving instruction to his children, okay? Solomon passing down the instruction to the next generation, And we get to be kind of descendants of that and get to learn from this as well. So we're listening in here to that. So he tells us as children, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it, As for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So all of these things he lays out. He says, this is the pathway to a wise mind. And the end result, the destination of this, the end result of a wise mind, is that the wise mind searches for wisdom and hungers for the knowledge of God. It is marked, it says, by the fear of the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 7, basically the thesis statement of the entire book, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now what does it mean when it says that? Fear can mean a couple of things in Scripture. Okay, It can mean the way we normally think about fear, but it also has another a meaning. Okay, It can mean reverence. Can mean respect, honor, adoration, and it's this sense of the sacredness of a thing. Okay?
okay, or reverence as you think about something. Something that stirs up in us a reaction of love and admiration. Okay? And that is what it's talking about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. This respect, this reverence, this awe for who He is that stirs up a love towards Him. But it's also talking about the other meaning of fear. Okay? And the way that we think of fear, our traditional understanding of it, is defined as, as, as an emotion that is sparked by an impending threat or the sense that something is dangerous. Okay? Now, why would we think that way when we think of God? Isn't He just so full of love? This is a church that named itself Love after all, right? Isn't He just so full of love that there's no need to have that kind of sense? As you look through Scripture, anyone who catches a glimpse of God's nature, their reaction is they are afraid for their lives. Why? Because God is so high and God is so holy and God is so full of power and might that to catch even the slightest glimpse of Him is to collapse beneath the weight of His glory. This is who He is. And when we begin with that in mind, of how high and holy He is, it begins to orient us and put everything else in perspective. Wisdom begins right there. It begins with the perspective of who we are in light of who He is. Okay? It also brings in that other kind of fear as well, though. Because this God who is so high, this God who is so holy, this God who is so full of power and might, humbles Himself. And the person of Jesus becomes one of us, lives among us, humbles himself to the lowest point possible, giving his life on the cross for us, being buried in the grave. And then, of course, raised back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Father. This is who God is, so high and holy that he reaches to the lowest point in order to rescue us and bring us back to himself. To understand God in this context, to get that perspective, is the beginning of wisdom. Fear includes both of those. And that's where wisdom starts, it says. That's how we get there. Okay? The, the pathway that leads to this, it says, is this. It lays out all of these things. It says, if you do this, and if you do this, and if this is true about you, then in the end, you will have a wise mind, one that searches for knowledge and one that hungers for the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, It lays out a couple of things. One of the things that it says is, if you train, uh, I mean, if you train your ear to hear wisdom and you're equipping, I'm sorry, I am misreading my own handwriting, okay? <laughs> I apologize, all right? I'm going to start over. Okay. If you turn your ear to wisdom and you apply your heart to understand it, this is the way towards a wise mind, it says. It's interesting that it pulls in the heart and the mind together. Okay? The heart and the mind are connected in this. One of the reasons we love this town so much is that this is a place that puts emphasis on the mind. This is a place where knowledge is cultivated, where people's thoughts are pushed, where you are forced to think outside of the ways that you are comfortable in thinking. All right? It, 
this place stirs your mind. It upsets your mind sometimes. And the status quo of the way you think will be challenged in this place. For many of you, it's why you came here, either for education or if you're here for a job. Uh, you were drawn to this place because of this, for many of you. Okay, This place where imagination and creativity is encouraged and pushed. And I have to think that God delights in that. This place is, is amazing. For years, it's been the number one place in the nation as far as PhDs per capita, all right, including Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. Number one in the nation for PhDs per capita. And just recently, the, the uh, Atlantic um, did an article saying that this is the number one hub in the nation for the creative class, okay, which is anybody who works in technology, um, education, the medical field, the arts, all right? The number one place in the nation for that, taking the numbers of Chapel Hill and Durham together, that 50% of the workforce in Chapel Hill and Durham would be considered a part of that creative class. It's the largest in the nation. This is the leading edge when it comes to the emphasis on the mind. This is a great place for that. God delights in that. But too often, as Christians... We have tried to divide the two, haven't we? In Christianity, we often try to make a line between the head and the heart. Okay, Head and the heart would be a good name for a band. Somebody write that down. Okay? <laughs> People try too often to divide between the head and the heart, and it's not meant to be that way. And so we say, well, the heart is the place where faith resides, right? And, but the mind is the place where, where it's like the landscape for reason. Okay, and let's keep those apart from each other. No, no, they're not meant to be apart from each other. They're meant to be engaged with each other. Faith and reason are not opposite from each other. Reason is informed by faith. Faith is informed by reason. They are meant to be joined together. Okay, you're not supposed to neglect one in favor of the other. They're supposed to be joined together. But for some reason, we want to divide them. Okay? You cannot cut off the heart from the mind any easier than you can cut off the head from the chest, okay? I mean, you can try it, but it's not going to do a whole lot of good for either one of them, all right? They're meant to be linked together, and they're meant to inform one another. And that's what it's getting at. It says, apply your heart to wisdom. Apply your heart to wisdom. Let the mind inform the heart. Let the heart inform the mind. Let them work in harmony with each other. And this leads towards wisdom. A wise mind is informed by the heart. A wise heart is informed by the mind. Okay? God is not threatened. God is not threatened by intellect. All right? He encourages it. All right? In fact, he's, he's offended probably when intellect is, is, is put out. Right? He encourages that. It's a reflection of who he is. The God who is himself truth encourages the pursuit of knowledge. All right? He doesn't demean that. He encourages that. All right? He wants the two to be joined together. Every discovery that we make, it doesn't diminish God. It doesn't diminish God. It helps us catch a glimpse even deeper of his brilliance. The more we learn about the inner workings of the human body, the more we are amazed of, of God. 
and his brilliance. The further we go out into the reaches of the universe, the more we are amazed at him. Every discovery unlocks more wonder and awe. And he invites us out of the shallows into the deep to know him, to continue to discover, to encourage the intellect, to stimulate the mind, to connect it together with the heart. That's the way it's meant to be. So the, last, the last piece here that we're going to look at this morning. Well, one, one thing I want to make, one point here. It's interesting. The word heart here in this passage, um, this is written in Hebrew, and, and the Hebrew word for heart here, it actually has a double meaning. In some places, it's translated as heart. In other places, it's translated as, wait for it, mind. All right? It's, they're connected. Even in the language itself, they are connected to each other. Okay? And God wants those to be intertwined and connected. The, la- the last thing that we're looking at here is in verse 4. It says this, If you search, if you look for wisdom as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then this is leading down the pathway towards a wise mind. Look for it. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Okay, This echoes what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, that it's buried treasure. And when you find it, hold on to it for the treasure that it is. Sell everything to get it. Right? This is interesting because in the passage right before this, in chapter 1, in verses 20 and 21, it says this. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. So on one hand, it's a hidden treasure buried that we have to go searching for. On the other hand, wisdom is out like (laughs) waving us down in the street, calling aloud in the middle of public, asking us to discover it. Well, which is it? Is it hidden treasure or or is it out right out and wide open? Yes, it's both. All right. It's this hidden treasure that begs to be found. A hidden treasure that begs to be found. And as you look in every corner of the world, if your eyes are awake to it, if you are open to it, you will see the presence of God. You will hear the voice of God calling back to you from every corner of this world. Everywhere you go. In your, in your work, at your job, in your classroom, wherever you are, in your dorm room, with your friends, in your marriage, in your children. Everywhere you look, you will see the wisdom of God calling out to you. He is speaking to you. It is a treasure, but it's hidden in plain sight, and it begs to be found. It begs to be found. We have a friend named Dave who... Um, I've been staying for a while at the um, shelter just around the corner from us. And Dave's been a part of this church, and um, he gave us permission to talk about this this morning. But he's been a part of this church, and in an attempt to show his love for God, his appreciation for what God had been doing in his life, he got this jar here, and he said he was going to fill it, and when it got full, he was going to give it as an offering at the church. And so what he did was he didn't find it all at once, all right? He, he, he went around, and for weeks and weeks and weeks, 
He walked up and down Franklin Street, and everywhere he went, he kept his eyes open. Pennies, nickels, dimes, whatever it was. He was watching. And the same stuff that other people walk over without thinking twice about, he was on the hunt for it. Right? And slowly and slowly building this up. And the day when he brought this to us, we were blown away. We were blown away because this is a picture of what courageous generosity looks like. And it just hit us. And we asked him if it would be okay if we kept this as a monument and as a reminder of what it means to keep your eyes open, to be searching for the treasure that is hidden in plain sight, what it means to give generously from the bottom of who you are. So let us, let us keep this. As I was thinking about this passage, this image of this jar kept coming back to mind. And I felt like the Spirit saying, this is what it looks like. It's out there. It's right out there. And most people are just walking past it, not even noticing it. They are not awake to it. But it's there to be found. And if you look for it, and if you search for it, and if you have your heart open to it, God will draw you to it. God wants to be found. God wants to be found. In fact, He's the one searching for us in the first place. Our job is simply to come awake to it, to be awake to it. The hidden treasure that wants to be found, that begs to be found. So what we've been doing this summer, as we've been looking at this poetry, is we've also been talking about the practical application of it. And so at the end of each message, we talk about reflection questions that we walk away with. And things for us to think about over the week. And so this morning, the reflection questions are this. Is my mind hungry for wisdom and the knowledge of God? Or is it so focused elsewhere that it has no appetite for that? Are you hungry for the knowledge and the wisdom of God? Now remember, the knowledge and wisdom, it's not just a grasp of the facts. This is also, it includes that. But it also includes the action of doing, which creates being. Being in relationship with God. This is true wisdom. Okay? Next question. Are my mind and heart disconnected or out of balance? What adjustments do I need to make to fully engage both? Remember, there is no division. They're meant to work together and feed off of each other. And then finally, where will I look? For this, tre- for this treasure hidden in plain sight. How is God revealing himself to me in everyday ways? Where am I finding him? And where am I missing him? He is alive in every corner of this world. It's not about just what happens inside of a church building, which is good for us this morning. This, this is a theater, okay? It's not just about what happens in these moments. It's about him revealing himself to us with every step we take in this world. He is calling out to us. It is a hidden treasure, but it's calling out in the streets, begging to be discovered. This is the wisdom of God, and it's offered and open to us. The thing about God's wisdom is that it often looks like foolishness. It's so simple that the depth of it is often overlooked. 
This is the wisdom of God. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, given for us on the cross. And when people look at that, that often looks like foolishness. And it looks like waste. But it's extravagant love poured out for us. The wisdom of God. And this is the pathway to knowing God. The fact that He gave Himself for us and invites us into relationship with Him. Throughout the summer, every Sunday, we've been sharing the table together. We've been coming to the King's table as a family. And we're invited into that again this morning. This is a reflection of what Jesus did with His disciples as He was with His friends on that last night with them. And in that moment, He took the bread that was there, and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body that is broken to make you whole. This is my body broken to make you whole. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. My blood spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins and for new life in me. This is the way into relationship with God. And on that night, he shared with them the bread, and he shared with them the cup. He offers it to us as well. This is the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The mystery that invites us into knowing him and invites us into understanding from the inside. So he invites us to his table this morning to share in this meal, to remember what he has done for us. Here's the thing. As we invite you forward in just a few moments, we're going to ask you to come out on this side, make your way in front of the table. As you come by, you will tear off a piece of the bread and you will dip it into the cup. And then you can uh, eat it whenever, you can take it back to your seat, you can eat it right there, whatever you want to do with that. Um, This is a message to us from God about His deep love for us. As you taste this meal, let it be a reminder to you, let it come alive in you, the depth of His love and sacrifice for you. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you want to come forward this morning and take a piece of this bread and, 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 and the cup, taste the cup, let that signify the beginning of a relationship with Him, we absolutely celebrate that. We want to celebrate that with you this morning. Here's the thing about the King's table. It doesn't belong to us. So we will not check the guest list. Everyone is welcome to His table. Everyone is welcome to His table to receive the grace that He gives freely to us. As you tear off a piece of the bread, we have one rule about communion here, okay? As you tear off a piece of the bread, do not take a tiny little crumb, all right? Take a big chunk, all right? As we like to say, this is a piece of our liturgy here with communion, grace enough to choke on, okay? (laughs) This is a celebration of what He has done for you, what He has done for us, and of what He invites us into, the mystery, and at the same time, 
than Noah to be a part of his family. I'm going to ask Justin and Jason to come. As we pray, then we're going to invite you to come participate in the meal. Father, thank you for your goodness, for the depth of your love, for the reach of your love. And thank you for what we're about to celebrate and participate in today. We do it with hearts full of gratefulness, full of celebration for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you. See, then we pray. Okay. Come to the table.